This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Another rainy fall Saturday afternoon with you till 6.30. And then right after that, we've got Rangers Blue Jackets coverage. Game number two for the New York Rangers after they looked oh so impressive in their season opener on Thursday night. 5-1 win over Buffalo. So uh, stick with us throughout the evening. Uh, Knicks preseason basketball, not with us, but uh, at Madison Square Garden tonight, if that tickles your fancy. Uh, the Knicks hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves in their second tune-up for the season, which is now less than two weeks away from officially beginning. We'll touch on the Knicks. And, of course, um, it's week six in the NFL. And as we all know, and it's been a minute, uh, like I said, since I've been on this station, I've said it in other places, uh, unfortunately, and, and this is stating the obvious, not the NFL season we were hoping for. I was doing a lot of shows in August, even in July, with all of the anticipation of what could be and looking forward to for the first time in a very long time, both the Giants and Jets, not only being relevant at the same time, but actually being good. And uh, that seems to be a, a long way off right now, longer for one team than the other. And I'll start there with the Giants because let's be honest, the Jets, and they've received the tougher break. They received the toughest break of all after you know what we were prepared for this season to be ending as early as it did. And despite that, the Jets have remained relevant. I mean, they're two and three. They've by no means buried themselves. They're actually a very good team. The weakest spot on the roster has gotten better over the last two weeks. So there's actually some signs of hope there. And you're actually at the point now where as the Jets get set to take on the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles tomorrow, there's some talk that this could be a little bit of a trap spot for Philadelphia. So we'll talk about that. But, you know, the Giants is where I want to begin. Because as I'm looking at where this Giants season is right now in week number six with a 1-4 and four record, and unfortunately for us in New York, for NFL fans throughout the country, unfortunately for the fourth time in the first six weeks, we all have to endure another Giants performance in prime time on Sunday Night Football. The biggest spot, I mean, if, there is, if this isn't an argument for the NFL to be able to start their flex scheduling like week two or week three, then I don't know what is because we've seen the Giants – on Sunday Night Football to open the season, and they lost 40 to nothing to the Cowboys. And two weeks later, we had to see them on Thursday night against the 49ers, and, you know, they did okay. It was probably their second-best performance of the season. And then we had to see them again on Monday night a couple of weeks ago against the Seahawks, and now we get them for a fourth time in the first six weeks. And by the way, and I know I'm not the first person to say this, the Giants' schedule has been absolutely brutal. It's been, it's been garbage. It, it really is garbage what the NFL did for the Giants and did for Giants fans this season. Because Giants fans, coming off of last season, were as excited about their team. Now look, whatever happened the first five weeks, the offensive line falling apart, Saquon Barkley being injured, Daniel Jones turning the ball over, the defense being unable to stop anything. All right, put that aside for a moment. The Giants schedule the first six weeks of this season, what the NFL did to their fans is garbage. It really is akin to what Major League Baseball does to its fans with these stupid streaming games. You know, the Yankees playing one night on Amazon Prime, playing another night on Apple TV Plus, a Sunday morning on Peacock. You never know where to find them. It seems like three out of seven days every week they're on some sort of a streaming service. And that's a disgraceful way to treat their fans. 
So is treating, I understand if you're a good team, you're going to play the important games, you're going to play in prime time. All right? What's today's date? October 14th. They're playing on Sunday, October 15th. So we're at least a week away. It's going to be October 22nd, and I think the Giants finally play a 1 o'clock game next week. They do, when they host the Commanders. It's going to be week 7. It's going to be the 22nd of October before Giants fans can finally go to a 1 o'clock game at MetLife Stadium to watch their team. That's a disgrace to do to a fan base. The Giants have one of the most traditional going back generations fan bases in the entire NFL. It is a fan base largely based on one o'clock games at the Meadowlands since the 80s into the 90s, the 2000s, the Eli Manning years, even the last couple of years. Through good times and bad times, six to eight times every single fall, you're a Giants fan, you can count on going out to the Meadowlands for a one o'clock game on Sunday. And here we are week six, and they still haven't given that to their fans. That's a disgrace. Is that the reason they're one and four and out of it? No. Has, has it hurt them? It has hurt them. I absolutely think it's hurt them. But as you're looking at where the Giants are right now, I ask myself the question, how did we get back here so quickly? Because what the Giants are right now, are they the second worst team in the NFL? Are they the third worst team in the NFL? What the Giants are right now, they're a 1-4 team. That's going nowhere. They're a one in four team that this Sunday night has absolutely no chance to win a football game. There's no chance. I've looked at this game in Buffalo on Sunday night every way you can possibly look. Okay? I don't see a way that the Giants have a chance to win. I really don't even see a way that the Giants have a chance to be competitive. You know, and I know what they say any given Sunday. Okay? It wasn't the greatest movie, but it's a apt saying, any given Sunday, you never know what's going to happen. Except tomorrow, on Sunday, October 15th, I do know what's going to happen. The Giants are going to go to Buffalo. They're going to be playing in front of a raucous atmosphere against a team with Super Bowl aspirations. That's a legit Super Bowl contender. And they're not going to be able to move the football because they're not going to be able to protect their quarterback. And on the off chance they are, they're not going to have the playmakers to make their quarterback, by the way, their backup quarterback's life easier. And you're going to see a lot of Tyrod Taylor running for his life. I mean, I will be, and I'm not being facetious here. I'll be surprised if Tyrod Taylor gets through this game unscathed. I really will. First of all, very solid backup quarterback in the NFL, borderline starting quarterback, but he's been injury prone throughout his career. In fact, two weeks ago when he came in for Daniel Jones – he had to, they had to call timeout. Or was it last week when he came in for Daniel Jones? They had to call timeout for him to regroup late in the game. He almost had to leave the game after only being in for a short period of time. Okay? So, you're going to see a lot of Tyrod Taylor running for his life on Sunday night. I don't see a path where the Giants win this game. And that's part of a larger issue with this franchise. The Giants from 2017 to 2021, that is a five-year stretch, and it ended recently. It ended last year. It ended last year with a bang, and that's why last year was so celebratory. But for the five years previous 
to last year, the Giants were as irrelevant as an NFL team could be. They were 22-59, and and by this time, pretty much every one of those years, middle of October, second month of the season, week six, week seven, week eight, right around that range, where we are right now, by this time, each one of those years, their season was over. Every year, their season was over before Halloween. And that is the worst way to go through a football season if you're an NFL fan. Your season's over by Halloween? That's why last year was so enjoyable. Because coming into last year, you know, first of all, the fans were just happy to be rid of Dave Gettleman. And they were happy to be rid of Joe Judge and what had become just another failed attempt at leadership in this franchise. And you got that right off the bat with Brian Dable. And then they get off to a good start. But all fans wanted last year was competitive, competent football. And what they got was a lot more. What they got was, as a result of that competitive, competent football, they got a playoff push. They got a playoff appearance. They got a playoff victory. And you really thought this franchise had finally turned the corner. Expectations, I think, coming into this year were reasonable. They weren't off the charts. The off the charts expectations this year were with the other team in New York. And that was for a different reason. That's because they had an all-time great coming in to play quarterback. The Giants had the season they had last year. I don't think anybody came into this season with visions of grandeur that all of a sudden they were going to challenge the Eagles and the 49ers and the Chiefs for NFL supremacy. But what people were excited about this year was the idea that you have a competitive team. You have a, a team that's going to represent well each and every week. It's not going to fall out of it early. It's not going to embarrass itself. And unfortunately, that's all that this team has done through the first five weeks of the season. I mean, you take away the second half against the Arizona Cardinals. So now we're talking about four and a half games. We're talking about nine halves of football. Those are about as bad in nine halves of football as I think I've seen any NFL team ever play. I mean, they can't score the football. You know, those nine halves of football, they were shut out by Dallas. They were shut out in the first half by Arizona. You know, they put a couple of points on the board against San Francisco. They were limited to a field goal against Seattle. And last week, their defense scored a touchdown. A pick six from inside the end zone that went for more than 100 yards. This is about as bad, especially offensive football, and I'm not absolving the defense, even though they were the ones who scored last week. This is about as bad as offensive football as I think I've ever seen. And there's so many factors that have gone into it. You know, there's no offensive line. They are bereft of skill position players. There's no playmakers that are 100% or even available to play. Now they're without their starting quarterback, who we thought had a breakthrough season last year, and that seems to have been premature. And then the defense can't stop anybody. And that doesn't even get to the special teams. I mean, the special teams this year, outside of the punter and the kicker themselves, the punter's been really good. Graham Gano had a rough start, as we know, first drive of the season, blocked field goal, returned for a touchdown. Since that Dallas game, Graham Gano has been himself, which is excellent. But outside of that, the special teams has been awful. 
terrible offense, porous defense, inept special teams. That is the recipe for a losing NFL franchise. And the Giants fans just had to live that for five years. And last year, 9-7-1, and one, playoff win in Minneapolis. Okay, it ended with a thud in Philadelphia. Not entirely unexpected. The Eagles were a really good team. The Eagles were a 50-50 call away from possibly winning the Super Bowl last season. They were really good. So you don't dwell too much on the way last season ended, but last season in its totality was such an enjoyable year because you felt like it represented something more. You felt like it represented this franchise finally turning the corner. And just like that, in the blink of an eye, in five short weeks to begin this season, it feels like this Giants franchise is right back to exactly where it was, what, 16 months ago? When they were calling quarterback sneaks from the shadow of their own end zone on second and 11, and then again on third and nine, it really does feel like this franchise is right back there. We just went through this, right? It's not good. And that's been the biggest disappointment at the beginning of the season. Not the 1-4 and four record, not the injuries, the feeling of another hopeless football season for this franchise's fans that just went through five consecutive years of hopeless football seasons. Now, on the flip side of that coin, the hope is that this is a one-off as opposed to last year being a one-off. That remains to be seen. I mean, the head coach, Brian Dayball, isn't going anywhere. You know, this isn't going to be – look, a lot of times in recent years, right, Ben McAdoo came in, brought the Giants to the playoffs his first year because they spent wildly in free agency, and then his second year he completely lost the locker room. He benched Eli Manning, and he was run out of town after two years. Pat Shermer was just inept from day one. The only reason he got a second year is because I, I don't think it's within the Giants to fire a head coach there his first year. And then Joe Judge, first year, actually showed some signs of promise, and then the second year things fell apart so dramatically they had to get rid of him also. That's not going to happen here. Brian Dable isn't going anywhere. Brian Dable was the coach of the year last year. He is not coaching at that same level this year. But the question that we have to figure out is which Brian Dable is the real Brian Dable because it doesn't appear, based on what we've seen this season, that what we saw last year is the real Brian Dable. And I also don't think what we're seeing now, this guy whose offense is inept, whose defense can't stop anybody, and whose special teams are porous, I don't think that's the real Brian Dable. So we have to figure out who he is, and we still have to figure out who Joe Shane is. There's a lot of factors to consider here. Right? Has Joe Shane distinguished himself this year? He hasn't. But he's also still digging out from the mess that was left behind by the previous regime in Dave Gettleman. So it's bleak times right now for the Giants. It's more than just this game on Sunday night. You now have to ask the question, has this franchise dipped back into the same depths where it was two years ago? You certainly hope that's not the case. All right, you want to weigh in on this? 1-800-919-3776. We'll get to your calls. Uh, we'll hear some reaction ahead of the week six games for both the Giants and the Jets and anything else on the table. Pat will keep with you on this Saturday afternoon on 98.7 ESPN New York. This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. I got to be honest with you. I mean, when Tyrod Taylor plays, 
He's good. He's always been good. He's had a very unfortunate career timing-wise. He's always been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you know, he takes over as the starting quarterback in Cleveland, gets hurt. Baker Mayfield comes in, plays well his rookie year, never gives up the starting quarterback job. Uh, we know what happened with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I think you know what happened with Tyrod Taylor in uh, with the Chargers when he was uh, stabbed in the lung by the team doctor who was trying to administer a shot. He was a last-minute scratch from the game that day. Justin Herbert went in and has never relinquished that job. But Taylor's a good player. There's not a huge drop-off between Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. So when I look at this game on Sunday and say, I don't see how the Giants have a chance to win this game in Buffalo, the fact that their starting quarterback, their $40 million a year quarterback, isn't playing, honestly, doesn't even factor into me making that statement. Such is the state of this Giants team right now. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you, 1-800-919-3776. Let's open up the phone lines. Let's start off with Gabriel in Brooklyn. Gabriel, how are you? How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm uh, good, thanks. Listen, listen. Um, the thing was that I know the Giants overpaid Daniel Dan Jones, right? But they have the way the quarterback market is, he had to get paid, right? And then on top of that, it's like I was listening to ESPN the other day, and this thing hit me in my mind so hard. It's like I heard one of your guys say that the guy that had a free run at, at um, Daniel Jones, he couldn't even get to him. Somebody else, like on the line, got to him and sacked him. So that's telling you how bad the line is. I understand people saying, oh, this and this about Daniel Jones. But show me a guy that I could throw a football when he don't have no time to, um, to, um, to throw it. I'll sign up for that guy to be my quarterback. And um, one more thing I would say, as far as the Giants or the Jets, the Jets, the problem with the Jets is, like, the coaches, they're not really trying to develop the quarterback. They're just trying to win football games if you watch the games. So they're not allowed this kid to, like, go through his own um, progressions and play. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not allowed him to make mistakes and stuff like that. So he's always under the pressure, like, I can't make no mistake. Because if you, like, last week I watched the game, how you go into the red zone five times and you come out no field goal? That means you t- somewhere along there you got to be like, yo, we can't just keep kicking field goals. We're going to have to go for it whether we get the, whether we get the set six points or not. You have to let your quarterback go, let him go through the pain of making mistakes and stuff like that. But what's the name is so worrying about the job, Robert Salas? He's just trying to win his football game if you watch the game. So I don't know. You know, it's like you can't really judge these quarterbacks like based on how, how they're playing now because the coaches are not doing their job. And, you know, like, so these guys are not going to get evaluated right. Gabriel, thanks for the call. You know, I, I don't agree with the point on the Jets. I, I think the Jets have to win these games. You know, I, I'm not begrudging. Look, the Jets, once they traded for Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson ceased to be their quarterback of the future. Now, he just became a backup quarterback. He was just another guy. Look, I mean, this franchise has not gone to the playoffs since 2010. They have, on paper, outside of that quarterback position, from the defense to the wide receiver to the tight ends to obviously the running back who's becoming a bigger star by the week. The Jets in all of those spots have a playoff caliber team. All right, the offensive line is shoddy and it got worse this week with Elijah Vera Tucker being out for the rest of the season. And then the quarterback position without Aaron Rodgers there is an issue and continues to be. Zach Wilson's last two weeks have been better. I think that Last week, they coached to win that game, which is what you need to do. 
it really is what you need to do in any situation, right? The, the one situation where you can say, all right, development is more important than winning games. That's if you already have your quarterback of the future, you know, your high first-round pick at quarterback. That's where the Carolina Panthers are right now. That's where the Houston Texans are right now, although their quarterback's playing very well and putting them into position to win. That's where the Indianapolis Colts are right now, although their quarterback for the second time already this season is injured, and once again, Anthony Richardson isn't going to start this year. The Jets are not in that position. The Jets are in the position where they need to win games. They need to win games because it's been long enough. It's been 13 years since they went to the playoffs. They have put together, outside of a couple of spots, including the most important spot on the field, they have put together a playoff caliber team. They need to win games. And yeah, if the head coach doesn't win games, is he going to lose his job? There's a very good chance he will. If this, like right now, they're treading water. Look, if you looked at the Jets' schedule before the season started, it was a very difficult schedule. Against the Bills, at Dallas, against the Patriots. Now, nobody knew how bad New England was going to be at the start of the season. Against the Chiefs, at the Broncos, and then this week against the Eagles. I got to be honest, even if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, I think if you came out of that 3-3, three and three, I think you'd be happy. Because from that point on, the schedule lightens up a lot for this team. And there are some wins out there. The Giants, the Raiders, the Falcons, the Texans, the Commanders. All right? I said all along, even before Rodgers' injury, get through the first six games. Don't bury yourself. Be 3-3 three and three and give yourself a chance to compete. They're actually a game away from doing that. Now, do I think they're going to beat Philadelphia on Sunday? No, I don't. But 2-4 and four doesn't bury them. They need to coach to win these games. Bronco, the Broncos' offense is porous, all right? Yeah, the Jets had 24 points in that game in the fourth quarter. Um, they knew that Denver was going to struggle to score. They played it close to the vest because they knew that the Broncos weren't going to put up a big number against their defense. And then they got the play at the end. The fumble recovery returned for a touchdown to push the final total to 31-21. to 21. As far as the Giants go, yeah, the Giants offensive line. Daniel Jones, is he, look, he's not the problem because the offensive line is so bad and has been ever since week one, okay? It's not Daniel Jones's fault. There's very few quarterbacks out there that could succeed behind this offensive line. But that being said, from what I've seen of Daniel Jones through the first five games of this season, if you ask me right now, do I think he's their franchise quarterback two years from now? I don't. I really don't. Because even in adverse circumstances, under poor offensive lines, the top quarterbacks can still look competent enough. Whether they sh shorten their drops from five steps to three steps, they get rid of the ball quicker. And the Giants haven't been able to implement even that. Let's go to A-Town in New York City. Hey, A-Town, how you doing? Hi. I just want to know, who, when I watch the Giants, the two players that seem to be the worst players on offense and the one player on defense are the guards. The guards have been at Lemieux, and I don't even know who the other guard is. I can't pronounce his name. Do you know who the other guard is? 
because he's the one that gave up the touchdown in Dallas. I think he's the worst player in the NFL. He makes uh, the right tackle look like he's John Hanna or something. But the guards have been absolutely horrible, and that's on Joe Shane and Brian Dayball for not noticing that before the season because you could see in the preseason that the guards were absolutely terrible. And the other thing is Dexter Lawrence. I thought he was supposed to be this all-pro. I thought he was this tremendous player. But everybody's running on the left side of the Giants throughout the whole season. So I'm just curious what you think about that. A-Town, thanks for the call. Yeah, they are running on the Giants, and they're moving the ball at will on the Giants. You look at the Giants should have a better pass rush than they've had. right? Lawrence in the middle clogging the lane. Uh, with Leonard Williams, but Kayvon Thibodeau has not had the same impact that he had last year. The Giants have not been able to get after the quarterback, and they have not been able to stop the run. It's been an awful combination. And you can look at the offensive side of the ball. Look, no unit in football, offense, defense, whatever, no unit in football is without injuries, all right? But the Giants' issues on offense are more injury-related than their issues on defense. You know, for the most part, the Giants' defense is intact. It's largely the same group that their numbers weren't off the charts last season, but they were certainly opportunistic enough that they made enough big plays in late games, led by Wink Martindale's coaching of them, to help that team get into the playoffs. They have not had the same impact, and it really hasn't been injury-related. You know, on the Giants, arguably, your two most important offensive players haven't played in weeks. You know, Andrew Thomas, this season has been virtually a zero for him, and that has weakened every single other spot of the offensive line, to our last caller's point. And then, of course, Saquon Barkley. And go back to the second half of Arizona. The only reason... The Giants did what they did in the second half of Arizona with Saquon Barkley was superhuman for the last two quarters. He did everything. And unfortunately, he literally left it all on the field by suffering another injury. But he, you could see how hard he was playing. It actually led to the ankle injury because he had to be the one to make virtually every play. And then ultimately, with so much attention being paid to Saquon, that opens some things up for other guys. That's the formula for the Giants. But if you take Saquon Barkley out of the equation and at the same time take Andrew Thomas out of the equation, this was supposed to be the year. Look, Thomas got paid. He was awesome last year. The offensive line was good enough. Andrew Thomas was awesome. You take the awesome guy out of an O-line that's good enough, and then your offensive line all of a sudden stinks. It limits the effectiveness of Darren Waller. You're not seeing Isaiah Hodgins have the same impact he had last year. Wandell Robinson is still working his way back. Darius Slayton has been virtually invisible because Jones, or whoever the quarterback is, does not have time to throw. But on the flip side, why does the other team's quarterback seem to have all the time in the world to throw? Whether it was Geno Smith or Drew Locke for a series... Tua last week, the other team's quarterback seems to be able to sit back there, pick his best option, and execute it. And with a team like Miami, with its speed on the outside, that makes it impossible for anyone to stop. Why are the Giants not getting pressure on the other team's quarterback? Because God knows the other team is getting all kinds of pressure on the Giants' quarterback. 
and it is all wrapped into this one package of another lost season, a sixth lost season in the last seven years. I mean, right now, in week number six, you are already starting to think about Caleb Williams and the number one pick in the draft. Imagine that. Remember the high of mid-January going into Minnesota, pulling out that playoff win, Daniel Jones's historic performance? That was nine months ago. And now Giants fans are, rightfully so, already thinking about tanking all the way to the top of the draft and earning the number one pick and drafting USC's Caleb Williams. What an unbelievable fall from grace for this franchise that just had a huge fall from grace two years ago. All right, more of your calls, 1-800-919-3776. Week six for the Jets as well. How much more can that franchise endure? We'll take a look at their matchup against the Eagles on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Because of the end result of the season, getting into the playoffs, winning a playoff game on the road, finally having their high first-round draft pick of a quarterback show that he could take them to that level, and he was handsomely rewarded for that in the offseason. The Jets, the good feelings and the high expectations for the Jets that developed during the offseason were, you know, 95% about the addition of Aaron Rodgers and maybe even more than that. But I do think that because Aaron Rodgers came in as the quote-unquote missing piece and because of the way the Giants season ended in such a success, I think people tend to overlook that the Jets actually – made similar strides to the Giants last year. You know, the Jets at one point were 6-3. and three. At one point were 7-4. and four. They were in possession of a wild card spot in the AFC. I mean, the Jets making the playoffs last year would have been as improbable as the Giants making the playoffs. The difference is the Jets fell apart over the final six weeks of the season, lost all six of those games, and finished 7-10. and 10. But lost in the Jets' end-of-the-season collapse was the fact that, despite that, it was still a season of tremendous improvement for that franchise. I mean, that's and, and that's what led to Aaron Rodgers. You know, there was tremendous improvement on the offensive line, uh, the running game until Brees Hall got hurt. But most importantly, there was tremendous improvement on the defense, the D-line, um, you always kind of knew that as C.J. Mosley could be healthy, which he was last year, the linebackers would be solid in today's NFL. And then, of course, there was the secondary and the addition of Sauce Gardner being the biggest factor there. The Jets really, they never got to enjoy the goodwill or the good feelings from their fans based on what they did last year. I think Jets fans look at last season as a disappointment. And yes, it was disappointing the last six weeks that they went from seven and four to seven and ten. But and I've said this since the end of last year. I don't think it's fair to look at last season as a whole for the Jets and look at it as a disappointment. So as a result, the Jets were in a similar position to the Giants, where they erased a five and in the Jets' case longer year period of 
incompetence and ineptitude and for two-thirds of last season played very competent football, competitive football. Unfortunately, it didn't end the way you had wanted, but this is a team with two weeks left in the season was still technically mathematically alive for a playoff spot. That in itself was progress for the Jets last year, and they did it without a quarterback the last six weeks. Once Zach Wilson stepped to the podium after losing to New England 10-3 to just before Thanksgiving, once he didn't take accountability for his performance that day, except for the Bears game with Mike White, the Giants, excuse me, the Jets did not have a quarterback the rest of the season. And yet, with two weeks left in the season, they were still mathematically alive for a playoff spot. But you look at the Jets this year, and they are hanging in, as I said before. By a thread, they're treading water, and they're about to take on one of the Super Bowl favorites in the Eagles, an undefeated team, tomorrow afternoon. But between Rodgers and then the news this week that Elijah Vera Tucker for the second season in a row, his season is cut short before the midway point. You, you have no DJ Reed this week. You have no Brandon Eccles this week. So you have two of your top four cornerbacks are out. Uh, we heard today Adam Schefter reporting Justin Hardy, their fantastic special teams player, is out. But especially the Vera Tucker because that took the strongest – it's like the Giants. It's like the Giants without Andrew Thomas. Except for the Giants, the hope is that Thomas will come back at some point. AVT is done. So you took the best part of one of the weakest areas of the team, and he is now gone. The offensive line, while it has been getting better – is still one of the biggest question marks on this team. And now, your first game without your best player there, you're going up against an Eagles team that has one of the best pass rushes in the entire NFL. That's the biggest reason why the Eagles are 5-0, and when their offense really hasn't clicked yet. Their running game has looked pretty good. But the Eagles have not, despite the fact that they have Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown on the outside... The Eagles have not lit the world on fire with their passing game this year, but they haven't had to. You know, we had the caller call last segment about the Jets coaching to win against Denver, which is, let's be honest, what you should do. The Eagles have been coaching to win. They haven't let loose in their passing game because they haven't needed to let loose in their passing game because they are so strong in other areas, notably the offensive and defensive lines. They're so strong in other areas that they can – wait and pull that out of their pocket when they need it but the Jets through their first five games are competitive you know the defense is good it's it's probably better than good it's not great you know they still give up big plays they still lose focus from time to time but overall it's a it's a good defense Brees Hall is excellent I mean somehow he's better than he was last year Garrett Wilson we know what he is He's one of the best in the NFL and an incredible safety blanket for the still very much a work in progress, Zach Wilson. But the last two games, the night game against Kansas City, followed by last week in Denver, has been the best two-game stretch of Zach Wilson's career. Now, after this week, for the Jets, you get a bye. The question for the Jets, can this team go 3-1 and one over its next four games. Because after the Eagles tomorrow and then the bye, you come back off the bye with 
a road game at the Giants, and then you host the Chargers on Monday night, and then you go out to Las Vegas. So I don't know how you want to split it up. Most likely a loss to the Eagles, and then you win those three games. I know that's a very tall task. It becomes a lot easier if you can find a way to beat the Eagles tomorrow. But can the Jets go 3-1 and one over these next four games? That would bridge their bye week next week. That would get them to 5-4. and four. I mean, they were 5-2 and two last year with Wilson. In games that, remember last year, Wilson was hurt at the beginning of the year. Joe Flacco started, had that miracle comeback in Cleveland. They started 1-2. and two. Wilson's first game was that game at Pittsburgh where he had that great fourth quarter comeback that the Jets won. Wilson was 5-2 and two last year. The Jets as a team were 6-4 and four overall before Wilson lost the locker room when he didn't take accountability after that Patriots loss. But you look ahead for the Jets – as difficult as the schedule was to start the season, you're looking at December, January games against Atlanta, against Houston, against Washington, against Cleveland. Now, those are all beatable teams. But the other thing that I'll say about all of those teams, I would say every one of them, ex with the possible exception of Washington, every one of them is better this year than they were expected to be. You know, you looked at Atlanta at the beginning of the season, you think that's a very winnable game. Well, not as much. Same thing with Houston. I mean, they've been very competitive with their new head coach and C.J. Stroud as their quarterback. Cleveland's defense is among the best in the NFL, although they have been up and down because they're still inconsistent without their starting quarterback. The easiest, ironically, you look at the Jets' schedule, their easiest remaining game is probably Week 18 at New England, except... It's New England, and the Jets seem incapable of beating the Patriots. But whereas the Giants have almost immediately drifted back into this place of irrelevancy and non-competitive football, the Jets have not. And the Jets have lost a lot more than the Giants. I know the Giants have lost here and here and here, and Saquon's important and Andrew Thomas is important. The Jets lost the face of their franchise four snaps into the season. And yet through five weeks, they have figured out a way to stay competitive because they are good in a lot more spots than the Giants are. All right, 1-800-919-3776. We'll look ahead to this Jets matchup on Sunday against the Eagles. Uh, touch on the rest of the NFL in Week 6. How do things stand about a third of the way into the season? Pat, I'll keep with you on 98.7 ESPN New York.